saying before, we're reading from uh, last bit of Colossians, from Colossians 4. And um, we're just going to read a short little section in there from verses 2 to 6. It says this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for the chance just to stop in the afternoon. Just to pause as we uh, head into another week. Uh, You're so good um, giving us another day of life. Thanks for all the opportunities we've had this week and today to, to enjoy your good gifts to us, which you give to us and express in so many ways. It's your gift to us right now to be here. You've brought each one of us here. Now you would have us hear from you. So, Father, please speak. Help us to listen. to be reminded of your goodness to us in Jesus. And then may we overflow with joy and thanks, humility and the words of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, my, uh, I guess you'd say my, let's go back to my ideal day off. Let's just say I I had five of them in a row a few weekends ago. Remarkable. Um, What what a luxury. little indulgence. So I love cycling. Is that a little bit loud? I feel like... Yeah, thanks. Is that a little bit soft? (laughs) Um, I've got a bunch of mates who cycle, kind of different groups of mates I cycle with. Uh, one guy who's also a pastor said to me, look, I know you've got some time off. Why don't you come on a cycling trip with me? I've got a whole bunch of guys. We're heading down to a place called Bright and we're going to cycle for five days. I mean, what was there to think about? Apart from asking Valinda, my wife, she said, you should go. So we went down there for five days. Bright, anyone know where Bright is? Sort of about two hours south of Albury. Does anyone know where Albury is? So it's Victoria, sort of cyclists, I think we talk it up because we like to think about how high we climb on our bikes and call it the Victorian Alps. Is it actually called the Victorian Alps? Can anyone confirm or deny that? Let's run with it. 
Um, and so my mate picked me up. We were like little kids, actually. He was going to pick me up at seven, but we were texting the night before. And I said, look, I won't be able to sleep tonight. It's like Christmas Eve. And he said, well, how about I pick you up at quarter to six? I said, sure, I'll, I'll be up at five, so let's do it. So he picked me up at quarter to six. We're on the road, living the dream um, in his little RAV4, bikes on the roof, heading to Bright, stopping for coffee as much as possible. We get to Bright. Uh, we have a ride in the afternoon, about 30 k's, just the warm-up, because the next day, or the next four days, uh, we rode uh, over 100 k's each day, and one day we climbed 2,900 metres. So we climbed... Um, Mount Buffalo, Falls Creek, Mount Hotham, and then the fourth day, a couple of other gaps. And, you know, that's where you ski down, you don't ride up. And there's something maybe twisted in me that I loved every moment of those climbs. Um, Partly because, you know, there's not much of me to pull up the hill, so I don't actually have to have muscles to get up the hill. So I just sort of pedal up, enjoying being on the bike with some mates. And, of course, the, the... the scenery and the view is absolutely sensational. Um, I think John Piper talks about going to the Grand Canyon. Um, and if you go away talking about yourself when you've been to the Grand Canyon, there's something wrong. And so it's one of those experiences. You go away not talking. Well, actually, you do go away talking about your cycling feats. But either way, the mountains were fantastic. At one point, there was snow right next to us. And so this is we start cycling at 7. We don't get back to lunch we, went, we found this awesome bakery, went straight to the bakery and had as much to eat as possible, you know, meat pies, uh, milkshakes, and you can justify that. And then home for a little bit of a, you know, a grandpa nap, um, and then an ice cream, of course, gelato, back for a nap, out for dinner, and then you spend the rest of the night. Uh, a mate had GoPro uh, cameras, one on the front and the back of his bike, so that we spend the rest of the night looking at ourselves riding our bikes. <laughs> Just doesn't get any better than that. So that was my ideal day every day for four days. Completely indulgent, but so much fun. And of course, I got those first photos and videos and posted them on social media because I like to pretend I'm a pre- professional cyclist, I'm not actually a pastor. But what that did then was every time I saw someone I knew, they said, oh, you just saw, saw you cycling, and it was just fantastic, which was just pressing the play button on me to just gush about this fantastic time away that I had, this most amazing experience that I'd never had before cycling. And, of course, that's what you do. Now, John has talked about his hair story. Um, the bright cycling story is not funny, but much better, I think. <laughs> um, it was a longer experience, so it's better. And I so I haven't stopped talking about it. I feel like I'm still living that experience, still feeling refreshed, um, rejuvenated, um, and I've still got a story to tell. I mean, how much more is that got to be the case when we've come to the best experience that you can have in life, which is meeting Jesus? Because who he is and what he's done. And hopefully if you hadn't already, that you met Jesus in the pages of this letter of Colossians and you've learnt who he is, the one all-supreme being over all things and is at the centre of all things and he's over all things. And as you come to meet him, all the fullness of God that's in him, because he comes to reside in you, is in you as well by his spirit. That's remarkable. 
And you, if you've known Jesus for a while, you'll know the work that he's been doing in you. And that you've actually experienced the fullness of life under Christ that you've been talking about every week here through Colossians. Or you should have been. So you've been in Colossians for four weeks. I was just in it this week. You know, you've got friends when they ask you to preach in a series um, and you actually have never preached in that book before, so you have to learn the whole book and then actually write a new sermon. So thanks, guys. But, um, <laughs> so tell me, this is a point where you could actually share, you're allowed to interact. What have you learned in Colossians? You can say it out loud. Jesus is supreme. Absolutely. Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Yeah, the high point of the book. Like, who is this? Well, it's the supreme being of Jesus. Yep. Anything else? I'm quite comfortable with awkward silence, so, you know, but I'd rather not have awkward silence. We've been made new. Absolutely. We were aliens. We were in darkness. We weren't reconciled. A whole bunch of imagery that Paul uses to describe what we were, but we've been made new, we've been reconciled, we've gone from darkness to light. Anything else? Yes. Um, Colossians 1.28, you know, we work to present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. So there's a massive assumption there that we're all working together to actually grow. Now, the summary verses in Colossians for me are 2, 6 and 7, which talk about the, the fact that as you've been established in Jesus or established in the Messiah, you will continue in him, uh, built up in him. So the way in is actually the way on. And you learnt that, didn't you, because there was this possibility that these Christians, even though they knew Jesus, might have been taken away by some other philosophies or uh, rituals or religions. And so Paul's reminding them, there's nothing new you need. You've got the fullness of life in Jesus. So he reminds them who he is. And then he talks a little bit about how that new life should look, didn't he? I've skipped over uh, the bit that we were going to look at in terms of the relationships and how being new in Christ and under him should affect all our relationships Family, friends, work. And we're going straight to talk about the fact that if you've got, if you've got this fullness of life, uh, you should overflow and want to share it. So what we're going to focus on in 4, two, 2 to 6 is really how you go about sharing the fullness of life you have under Christ. So let's jump into chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to be thinking about it under three words, pray, act, and speak. Pray, act, and speak. So Colossians 4 verse 1, as we think about pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The first thing Paul says as as he comes to think about us sharing Jesus is to pray. To ask for. That's what it is to pray, is to ask God for. We'll get to what we are to ask for. But he says we're to do that in a way that means we're continually doing it and steadfastly doing it. Other translations have the word uh, devote. 
devote yourself to prayer. And it's worthwhile stating the obvious that that's actually a command. God is giving us a command to pray. It's a little bit ironic, isn't it? It's coming to the best relationship with ever with God through Christ and we have to be told to talk to him. But we are told to, in fact, we're commanded to. So, if we were to think about our lives to this point today, uh, whether in the, in the quietness of our own heads and hearts or actually hearing it, would we have discovered us to be obedient to God in prayer today? Because God says we are to pray continually, steadfast, be devoted to it. One of my cycling mates, his name is Caesar. He's Brazilian, so he may be passionate about everything, but he's certainly become passionate about cycling. So he's been cycling just for a year. Um, so most guys buy a cheap bike, um, which may be our definition of cheap, not yours. Um, and he really got stuck into cycling. So then he's bought another bike, which put pretty large dent in his bank account. I won't give you the figures, but uh, there is five. Um, <laughs> it does have gold paint on it, so... It must be nice. He's changed his uh, daily routine and his alarm. In fact, he prides himself on, this is my fault, of getting up and having his alarm at 4.30 a.m. I mean, that's crazier than me. So his, his timetable has changed. His bank account has changed. Obviously, his clothing has changed because he's got to buy a really expensive top-label Lycra to get on the bike. Um, his family life's changed, so uh, for his birthday he went away for the weekend with some mates, not with his wife and kids. But how good's this? They didn't, he didn't know this, but they turned up at the end of the race to greet him. So even they've changed their life based on his cycling. I mean, we have these cycling tans. You can see, I've got one. Your, your body changes. The colour of your body changes. I mean, this is a guy who's devoted to cycling, and you can see it in every aspect of his life. Every aspect. Uh, his social media life is dominated by cycling. May, mine may be too, but that's, that's okay. Is that true of us in, our, in the sense of prayer? You know, are we devoted to prayer in such a way that it's a part of our life? In, in a really sort of structured, organised way, because we have time set, away, set aside that we pray, or in a sort of unstructured, organic, informal way where we just take a moment to pray. We're with a friend, we're talking about something and we turn to prayer. Paul says we're to pray and to be watchful and thankful. Watchful and thankful. A watchful has the idea of being on guard. Being on guard. And I think it's probably why you know John Piper talks about the illustration of Prayer not being uh, domestic intercom, but a wartime walkie-talkie. There's a big difference, isn't there? Domestic intercom, you know, kicking back in the spa, press the intercom, and the butler brings down the drinks and the food. 
I mean, I know never, no one lives that dream, but <laughs> just imagine. But that's not the Christian life, is it? The Christian life is a battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. And so we've got prayer as a, a wartime walkie-talkie to call down the resources we desperately need right now in the war. God's spirit to work. The word to come to us as a sword to fight off Satan, to share the gospel. And he says we're to be thankful as we're watchful and we're praying, we're thankful because God answers those prayers and we can give thanks to him for that. If not already what he's done in Jesus. And we're to pray for others. Paul is calling people to pray for him. And just pray for yourself, pray for others. Verse 3 he says, pray for an open door. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. And you think, hang on, let's stop there. Paul's in jail. So of course he's going to pray for an open door, isn't he? Open that jail door. That's what I'd be praying anyway. Open the door. Get me out of this place. But he says, no, open a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Now, we sh- you definitely got to stop and think about this for a moment. Why is Paul in prison, he's just told us? Because he kept walking through doors that were opened by prayer and speaking the gospel, so they put him in prison. He's in prison, what is he praying for? Open doors of hearts so he can walk in, share the gospel, which may probably mean he'll stay in prison. He's not praying for the changing of external circumstances... He's praying for internal realities to change so people are willing to hear the gospel. He will declare the mystery, that which has been hidden, that's now been revealed in Jesus. That's what he prays for. He wants to get out, but he wants the gospel to get out, not him. Open doors, that's what he prays for, for the gospel to go out clearly. How might you help yourself be devoted to prayer? So we're finishing the weekend very soon, starting a new week, and you know, you know all that that brings. Some of you are probably already thinking about Monday, and if you weren't, you now are because I just said you were. <laughs> Another week starting. Another week to be obedient to God. Everyone wants to know what the will of God is for your life. Everyone wants to know what the purpose of God is for their lives. What is it? Devote to prayer. What will you do before you go to bed tonight, to be more devoted to prayer. You know, God's Spirit's at work in you. I'm assuming you've already got a level of devotion to prayer, that we need to grow, we're told in Colossians. So what action will you take? What are you determined to do and actually maybe put it in your phone, um, write it down, share with a friend, so that you, as you look back this time next week, and say, yes, by the Spirit of God, I've been more devoted to prayer. You might be a list person, so you might start writing some lists or adding to the lists. You might be, I need to share this with a friend and say, can you please ask me next Sunday at this time whether I've been more prayerful this week? You might say, actually, can you bring me on Wednesday night? Or can you ask me at my MCG? That's what they call isn't it? Kind of got that right, yeah. Have you been more prayerful And not just let them say yes, but say when. (laughs) What did you pray for? Who did you pray with? 
Or you might ring a friend and say, can I pray with you? So before you talk about anything, how's your day? How about we pray? Then you might get more informed. You might put an alarm on your phone. Phones aren't evil. I know preachers tend to rile against phones, but they're not evil, actually. Um, You can use them for good. I've got an alarm uh, on my phone at 12 o'clock, which reminds me to stop in the middle of the day and pray. Sometimes I quietly ignore it. I've got a friend who I used to work with in Queensland, and before I left, he said, let's make... Hey, Bill. Sorry, Bill's friend's here as well. Um, I just saw him. (laughs) Let's, Let's make a commitment to each other. Let's never ignore an inclination to pray. You know those inclinations? I should pray. Oh, no. That's being disobedient to God. Because the inclination is the Holy Spirit. Pray, and he says, act. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So you're to pray and you're to walk. You're to walk wisely. You're to act. Because wisdom in the Bible is never about knowledge or information or education. Never. It's about transformation or translating information into action. Now Jesus said, those who are in the kingdom are those who not just hear my words, but actually put them into practice. They do them. Wisdom is living in light of reality. We've got the truth, we know what reality is, so we live in light of that. That's what walking wisely is. Stopping and recognising what reality is, what the truth is, and this is how I'm to live. We're to act. But it's interesting, isn't it? We're not to act in isolation. Do you notice he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And again, it's interesting that we have to be told to pray, but I think it's interesting that we have to be told to walk wisely towards outsiders. There's an assumption, isn't there, being made that we're, we're in close proximity, living life together with those who are outsiders. Now, actually, as you think about outsiders, you know, I know with some of my mates, um, they know I'm a pastor, and I, just, I know that they think, I'm trying to make them an insider, influence them, preach to them, change them so that they're an insider. But when you think about it, in our day and age, that's a bit of what you could call a cultural clangor, isn't it? You're an outsider. Because in our day and age, we're, we're inclusive, aren't we? We're, in, we're tolerant. Everyone's included. And so what... Paul's calling us to is countercultural. And so you only act wisely, consciously towards outsiders to have some sort of influence on them because you'll convince more of Jesus who he is than being convinced of what the culture says is right. And that'll only happen if you're convinced of who Jesus is from Colossians and the rest of the Bible. That's point one, isn't it? I can't call you to something that you don't, if you don't know what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to know Jesus and to live for him. Uh, the sense of making the most 
or the best use of the time, that's actually one word. It's sort of like one of those hyper words that intensifies the action that it's calling you to. And it's sort of like the idea of redeeming back the time or buying up as much as possible. Uh, Jacob this morning talked about how he's a bit of a, a bargain fiend. So he loves Gumtree, he loves eBay, and he just buys up every bargain possible. It makes sense. Why wouldn't you? My my brother-in-law, every boxing day, every boxing day, he gets up at like five, he lives at Manly, he drives to the city, he can actually park in the street outside like David Jones or something. He goes straight through the door and he makes the most of the opportunity every year. He buys the bargains, and I think it's three things he buys. No, no points for guessing, but he buys these resources for the whole year, so he doesn't have to go back till next Boxing Day. Undies, socks, and shirts. <laughs> Done for the year. He is onto it. He makes the best of the time, the sales time, and he buys up big. That's the idea of walking wisely. Every opportunity you have to live in a way that reflects that you're known by Jesus and know him, where to take it. Take those opportunities. And the McCrindle research, you might have heard of that group of uh, researchers. Uh, Mark McCrindle's a Christian, so he does a lot of research for Christian organisations in uh, Aussies and their response to faith and church and Christianity. I think it's the most lot of research, uh, two parts of it, one talks about the top attractors to religion and spirituality and one of the top three attractors for religion and spirituality is seeing people who live out a genuine faith. Isn't that remarkable? One of the most attractive things for people. Of course it is. Jesus says it is. Paul says it is. So the stats should match that. You know, we do have the opportunity to walk wisely and that will provoke something in people. But we need to do that towards people. I reckon you've got a probably a better chance of doing that than I have. I mean, I tend to, at the moment, hang out with lots of Christians. And so I have to get up early in the morning, put on Lycra, ride a nice bike. Well, I don't have to ride a nice bike, but I choose to so I can fit in. Um, and hang out with a bunch of people who are outsiders in God's eyes. And it's interesting, they joke because uh, they call me the priest. And so if I'm riding up a hill, you know, that odd occasion where I might actually get ahead of them, uh, they'll call out, hey LT, you've been drinking the holy water or something. You know, some super juice. But is it interesting? Because, yeah, I am conscious of living wisely, walking wisely before them. It's not always easy. I mean, I don't determine the nature of the conversations or the topic most of the time. But they are aware of me, you know, sort of needing to or wanting to or hoping to influence them. But they get me every now and again because when I might even, you know, show a hint in how I act or what I speak that might look like they're influencing me, oh, they love to leap onto that. It's difficult, isn't it? You probably know the place or the context in which it's the most hardest for you to walk wisely. 
you don't have to think hard to think about that context, I'm sure. The people who it's, you know, it is fine, but particularly hard to do that for whatever reason. It's good to self-reflect, isn't it? You think about that and, and pray. Why don't you come up with a plan of attack? Share that with friends so that you might grow in walking wisely. So Paul says, pray, he says, act, and he says, speak. Verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Not just pray, not just act, but speak. And he's focused on not just what you say. I mean, in one sense, that's obvious, isn't it? But he's focused on how you say it. So I take it the season with salt is actually when you speak graciously. And we all know the difference, don't we? (laughs) Uh, The difference is one which is a word I love, which is the word winsome. Or it's the opposite, which is repelling. You know, winsome. I love that word winsome. Where you're kind of winning people, you know, to whatever you're talking about. Which is a big difference to kind of persuading and, you know what I mean, arguing your case. You're so persuading that you're winning people. Because the nature of how you're saying it is actually having an impact as well. And it's interesting here, Paul has a sense that there are people set aside as pastors, preachers, evangelists who kind of do this direct, um, intentional sharing the gospel. But it's as though those who are the rest of us have this sort of responsive responsibility uh, to sharing the gospel. So when people ask questions, no doubt off the back of seeing you walk wisely, um, what it's all about. So have you been asked questions lately? Asked questions about your life, why you live in the way you live, why you do what you do? Have you thought about what you might say if you have questions? Or have you worked up a response and practiced it lots of times? I mean, it's kind of easy for me. You know, people say, I say, what do you do? And they say, what do you do? I was like, well, pastor. So it's like, it's not if but when you'll hear about Jesus. And so I, you know, my first response is always to say something, you know, something some of the time, not everything all the time. So I just have the, look, I'm convinced of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. That's about it. And if they're interested, they'll come back with more, more questions. Keeping it simple, I think, is the key. I'm going to talk about a friend, Adam, in a moment, but um, I've got this friend, Adam, new Christian, I'm meeting up with him uh, so that somehow I might help him grow in his Christian walk. But he's a salesman, so he's kind of helping me um, be a salesman as well. Uh, he's really good. doesn't mean I will be. Um, but one of the things he was talking to me about the other day is call a reluctance. So salesmen often have to make multiple calls. Now, he's part of a business that created this little thing that goes and taps. Right? He called six thousand plumbers do you know how hard it is to get through to plumbers and so he worked out at 7am to 7.30am that's the window they're in the van and you can call them 6,000 of them 
And he said, so you get caller reluctance. <laughs> I think I'd call it something else, but caller reluctance. And so then he sent me this little message, which uh, was like what I called a lesson from Adam in sales. Four ways to overcome caller reluctance. I mean, a guy could write a book. Have a reason to call, you know, a why. Ask for their help, uh, or if they're interested, always end with a call to action. What? What do you want them to do? And number four, pick up the phone and repeat. <laughs> pick up the phone and repeat. Basically, that's all you do. Pick up the phone and repeat. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Get over your reluctance. Once you keep doing it, you'll do it more. That's true of us, isn't it? We have gospel-sharing reluctance for lots of reasons. All of us have kind of different reasons, probably. Oh, what if they ask me that question I can't answer? What if I don't say the, wrong, the right thing and say the wrong thing? Probably not likely, but we do have that reluctance. What if, you know, it impacts a relationship in a negative way? Fear of people, lack of courage. We have every reason to have every reason to share Jesus and to just speak because we've got the best message which gives people the best experience in life that is the fullness of life under Christ. Yeah, I'd love to say I'm, I'm great at doing this, but I'm not. So God does amazing things in my life, so I have to speak. So let me tell you about my friend Rob the Atheist. Uh, I was working on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland for about nine years. Um, yeah, someone has to do it tough for Jesus. So God sent me up there. And I was preparing a sermon this day down at the beach at Malula Bar on the kind of bench overlooking the water. Slightly distracting, but you know, I was able to concentrate. I was trying to, sitting at the bench, um, you know, the picnic table things around the barbecues, laptop open, Bible open, some commentaries next to me on the seat, trying to punch out a sermon, when I just felt this presence of a person next to me. I thought, oh, gee, I hope they go away. I'm trying to prepare a sermon. Anyway, then he spoke to me. I was like, oh, great, now I've got to speak back. Um, so I said, you know, day, mate. And then he said, what are you doing? I was like, okay, wow. Now I have to explain what I'm doing, which might mean talking about Jesus. So I, said, I thought, okay. I'd actually turned to him because I thought, you've got to talk to people when you talk to them, don't you? So I turned to him and I said, look, I'm writing a sermon, these books, so you know, explain the Bible. I was very matter of fact. He said, oh, all right, where do you... Where are you, a pastor? And he was very interested in my life, very interested in what I was doing. Yeah, you might have thought because he's so interested, I should invite him to church, but he invited himself. He said, oh, where's your church? What time does it start? You know, I'm sort of trapped in the 90s at that point and had a business card and gave it to him. He said, oh, I might, oh I'll come along. It's like, oh, okay, I'll tell you. At this point, you're the one who should have initiated that, but okay, I'll do the job for you. Um... Anyway, he, he walked off. I could get back to my sermon, thankfully. Um, by the time I got home and checked my email, emails, he had sent me an email and said, just confirming I'm coming tomorrow. I'm bringing my wife, um, my sister-in-law and her husband as well. Sure enough, visitors always come early, so they were you know, front and centre early, perusing the bookstore, bought a book, sat in the front row. When we sang, they were kind of like this. And the thing was, we were going through our statement of belief and I was up to the sort of statement about the future and I was focusing on judgment. 
It was the first sermon I'd ever preached on hell in such a sustained way. I was like, God, come on, couldn't you have thought of a better better week? (laughs) Rob uh, was someone who came up to the Sunshine Coast, called the Grey Nomad, come up every year at the same time. Every year at the same time, he'd ring me up for coffee. His wife said, why are you having a coffee with a pastor? You're an atheist. And he'd come to church every time. He's from Shepparton. A a mate planted a church down there. So Rob went along, listened to the sermon, got a recording of the sermon and sent it to me because he thought it would be encouraging. Now, I'd like to tell you that Rob's become a Christian. He hasn't, but we're still in close contact. See, God has to do the work for me. I'll do PLT. I love going to this coffee shop before I cycle at 5 o'clock in the morning because it's the only place open. And the, and the artist said, I oh, know it's not because of the coffee you come here, because it's the only place open. Oh, I said, no, no, no. Anyway, his name's Tony. Five o'clock in the morning. I don't know what you're like, or you're probably in bed because you're sensible. But Tony, you know, one morning I turn up, kind of a bit dusty, and he engages me in a conversation about judgment again. But let me tell you about Adam from Aldi who was going to come this afternoon, actually. He sent me a text to say he couldn't come with his wife. Um, my youngest daughter and I, Pascal, um, walking home from school, we pass an Aldi, uh, an Aldi store. And so we love, this is daddy date time, so we love rummaging through the, the bargain bins at Aldi. That's a bit kooky, I know. We get a milkshake afterwards. But this day she wasn't with me, but I thought I'm going to duck in anyway because I was looking for some snorkels and goggles. She started getting into, you know, what's it called? Snorkeling and goggling. Um, <laughs> that's right. It's you know, Sunday afternoon. Give us, give us a break. Um, what was I saying? Anyway, I'm standing at the bin getting, getting the sizes and this bloke turns up next to me and he's rummaging through the bin with board shorts, you know, $2.50 board shorts. And he picks up and he starts talking to me, picks up these shorts and says, I'm going to buy this smaller size, like as if I cared, um, for like if I lose weight, I can wear them. You know the kind of plan? I said, oh, good. So his wife's over there kind of looking at me, looking at him like, oh, the Aussie Buffett's trying to think they're funny, but they're not. Um, he says something like, you know, well, maybe I said we should start, you know, a duo, dynamic duo, comedy routine or something. And he said, oh, who would be the straight guy? Oh, this, I got it this time. Oh, I, I, here's my chance to say I'm a pastor. Okay, I'm a pastor, so I'd have to be the straight guy. He jumps back, right, and says, Really? It's like, no, really, I lie about that stuff all the time. <laughs> he says, I just became a Christian. I just became a Christian. Now, I haven't even heard all the details of how he became a Christian. It involved being at a low point in life. It involved crying out to God. It involved dreams. It involved the Word of God, of course. Somehow, Adam became a Christian. I still don't really know how. All I know is... I've started meeting up with him to read the Bible, pray, and help him grow as a Christian. Adam from Aldi. I tell that story for two reasons. Because what God has to do to me, so I share Jesus. So that story, it's got nothing to do with what I did, has it? I was so focused on a bargain. God had to... But I tell that story as well because we all need reminding, don't we? We all need reminding that God is still at work. God is still at work bringing people to himself. 
making Jesus known to people so that they turn to him in faith. Adam is so passionate that he just can't stop talking about Jesus. He said to me, you know, when you, when you become a Christian and you discover Jesus, it's like um, you just want to tell people. So I just started telling people. Actually, then I read in the Bible that what's going to happen if you tell people, they're going to give you opposition or something. He said, then I actually told my brother at my 50th birthday, and he was a bit kind of negative with me. And I didn't think about it any of the t- at the time, but later on I thought, oh, yeah, that's because the Bible says that's what people will do. Didn't stop him. He just kept going back and sister and wife. And... It's just awesome, isn't it? We can forget we have a story, that we came to Christ somehow, whether born into it or some other point in our life. And there's always someone involved sharing Jesus, always. You probably think of their name now, who it was for you, or who was the people in the chain. This is a church that's, that's we're fairly new, I say we, where people have come to know Jesus. God's chosen to use city like Balmain to see people come to him in faith. He'll keep choosing to use this church as he used other churches around here in unique and particular ways to bring people to Jesus. And the remarkable thing is he chooses to use you and me in unique and particular ways. I, I mean, I know for me, that for some of my cycling mates, I am probably the only Christian they know. I mean, the poor guys, I'm a pastor. I've got no chance. I, I may be the only Jesus they know, if you know what I mean. And that will be true for you. Wherever God's placed you, whatever unique relationships God's given you, that's your wonderful privilege and opportunity. And here Paul's saying, hear what we've got. We can pray. We've got the Spirit enabling us to walk wisely. We're not doing it on our own. And we can speak in response to the fact that people will ask questions. What a week we can have this week. Thinking about the fact that we know Jesus, the supreme one over all things. And I want to just pause and say, do you know Jesus? If you have any little sort of, just an inkling, you know, that you're an outsider. Don't stay an outsider. Consider Jesus. God loves you so much that he gave his only son who lived the life you could never live died the death that you deserved, that you might be reconciled to God, to go from death to life, enemies to reconciled, from darkness to light. Consider Jesus. And if you know him, go out and by prayer and by action and by speech, make him known. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word to us. Thanks for your Holy Spirit at work in us. 
Help us now to pause and reflect on your word that Satan won't snatch it away. It'll take deep root and produce a harvest of righteousness for eternity. Amen.